station, but we're here for a real education. Oh, welcome to A Real Education. I am your host, Tim Wick, joined as always by my co-host, movie titan, Melissa Kersher. Hello. And movie small person. Oh. <laughs> Is Jenny. that the politically correct term? Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Jenny Young. Hey, so, hi. <laughs> we are here to at the Trilon Movie Theater for a live podcast. We are going to be watching The Lady from Shanghai. Yes. Or is it just Lady from Shanghai? I think it's just Lady from just Shanghai. Just Lady from uh, Shanghai. Lady. Yeah. She's, she's, she has no article. <laughs> um, As is true to the film, you know, the, the title was probably longer than they had to cut a word out. So, so uh, Jenna, uh, you get to tell us what you know about this movie. Okay. This is a film noir mm-hmm. uh, of Orson Welles. Sometimes I pay attention to you guys. So right. yeah, yeah but uh, it was a long time ago that we talked about that. Yes, like, almost two weeks. So <laughs> right? I've taken a couple of trips in there. So man, that stuff happened. I should anything. point out, by the way, that we are doing live podcasting from Peace Coffee, so we're being backed up by a soundtrack of, of people getting Coffee. drinks. Yeah, coffee which, by the way, if you ever have a moment and are in the area, stop by Peace Coffee. This is not a paid advertisement. It is not, but we're using their space, so, so we, should we be nice. endorse them. So, uh, yeah, film noir, uh, Orson Welles. I will confess yes. that I know very little more about this film than you do. That I've not seen this film. Oh, awesome. Ooh. I actually went out of my way to not learn too much about the movie yes. before it started. Mm-hmm. I just figured that would be more fun. But I do know that uh, in addition to Orson Welles, this film features Rita Hayworth. Mm-hmm. It is our first yes. visit with Rita Hayworth on this podcast, which mm. is Rita a Hayworth. shame. <laughs> we will remedy that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll get back to Rita. Rita, this can't be the last time we, right. we visit right. with Rita Hayworth. But, uh, uh, so this is uh, directed by Orson Welles and starring Orson Welles, which and is not written, uncommon. And written by and Orson, written Orson Welles. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, that's kind of, that was one of his things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles were married at the time. Um, for a few years, and this was kind of the the last throes of their marriage. <laughs> so we, maybe we can watch that on screen. I don't know. I don't. That's the thing. I don't know any of this. It's a it's a very interesting movie. It's um, is there a it, lady from Shanghai? There is. Okay. There is a lady from Shanghai. It's. Um, I will give you this context before seeing the movie. It is a movie that, like almost all of Orson Welles' films, it was taken away from him and re-edited by the studio. So they're they're especially like the the opening stuff. You know, can seem a little bit uneven. It's a very interesting movie though because it's still Orson Welles manning the thing, and there is a very famous climax to it. And that is what I will give you. <laughs> a very famous climax, and the studio meddled with yes. Orson Welles' work, which is yes. yeah, I that have happens some, a lot. I have so many stories about this this movie. I, I've got like five pages of notes, guys. <laughs> oh wow! So you know, we'll have to we'll save most of the podcast then for, yeah. for uh, after the film. So uh, once again, we are going to be watching this at the fabulous Trilon Micro Cinema mm-hmm. in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, we'll be doing another one here in about three months, so we certainly encourage you to come out and check out these live podcasts. Uh, you can even come and find us at Peace Coffee beforehand. So, as they say at Peace Coffee, peace out, and we'll see you after the movie. Really? <laughs> do do really? they say that here? Do they really? <laughs> I just did. Comes a change of heart 
and who knows when the rain will start. Welcome back. We have finished watching the lady from Shower, just lady from Shanghai. There is no the lady from Shanghai. There was a the title. Was yeah, there a the? I see. I wasn't even paying enough. So they must have edited back there. <laughs> yeah, we've finished watching Lady from Shanghai. Many mirrors have been shattered. And uh, before we get to our complete conversation, Jenna, of course, it is your job to tell us what you thought about the movie, since this is your first time watching it. Mine too, but we're not going to say that. Anyway. I'm going to make you have uh, reactions. Too. Right? Uh, mirrors have been shattered and so have dreams. Oh. Uh, well Isn't done. that poetic? That is. Well that's very you well said done. that, and I just, uh, I'm, you know, improv. Anyway, um... No, those are horrible people. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome I mean, to film noir. Wow. Like, and I've seen film noir, uh, thanks to you two. Mm-hmm. And um, those are horrible people. Pretty much, yeah. Like, they're the worst. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, Our protagonist is the least horrible, and he's still pretty awful. No, like, <laughs> yeah. usually there's at least someone that you're like, oh, well, you're, you're kind of wacky and not so bad. Nope. <laughs> the dots are... The dachshund's probably all right. Yeah, the dachshund's... Yeah, but dachshunds aren't people. The dogs. And all dogs are awesome. We don't don't know... Maybe we don't know enough about the district attorney to know that he's horrible. Yeah, there's that. But still, like, there there was no one to connect to, except for the protagonist, and I didn't want to. Like, I was like... I know... And I don't think that's an Irish thing. I don't think I'm racist. I just, yeah, yeah, no. But it was a really well done movie. Like, um, for for as awful as the people were, they did a really good job of making those people awful. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was the point, and they succeeded. Any further words, Tim? Since it's also your first time seeing this movie. Uh, wow, it is so Orson Wellesy. <laughs> There's, yeah. there's that, you know, especially he was really fond of, like, those tight close-up shots mm-hmm. with the with the really dramatic shadows across the face. Mm-hmm. Um, he was fond of those kind of, those kind of weird, quirky, I think, gray scale characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, if, you know, if you didn't know the film was directed by Orson Welles... <laughs> before you watched it and you knew what an Orson Welles film looked like, you would not have to be told it was directed by Orson <laughs> yeah, Welles. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so uh, really, you know, we talked a little bit at the in, in, our, in our preview thing, you mentioned that the opening is a little weird and the opening is really weird mm-hmm. uh, in that it doesn't match the tone of the rest of the film. Yeah, there, there's um, there's a lot of inconsistencies with tone and editing and, and things like that because this movie was originally turned in at 155 minutes. And it's and not, it wasn't even two hours, it, an hour yeah, and a half. Yeah, it wasn't they, even an hour it's and a half uh, like an hour has been removed from it because basically the producer took the, the movie away from Orson Welles and had it re-edited and had additional shots added. And like... It, this this movie wound up being so far away from Orson Welles's vision that it's uh, he found it to be very frustrating, and he's not even credited as director. So uh, like the music cues were not followed. The the studio had their own composer brought in. So a lot of times like music isn't consistent. 
Um, the movie that Orson Welles uh, sent in originally had no close-ups whatsoever. Huh. <laughs> and so a lot of the close-ups were added in reshoots. Um, Orson Welles turned in the movie on time and under budget, but it wound up being like the, the budget went over by a third of the total budget just because of the reshoots. That's funny yeah. that, <laughs> that some of the things that yeah. made it look like an Orson Welles film. Yeah, and um, I, I think I think and I think some of the reshoots Orson Welles was involved in, and he was like super exaggerating the close-ups with um, wide-angle lenses, so they've got that kind of warping quality to hmm. kind of uh, exaggerate depth. Yeah. But yeah, there's all sorts of weird things that happened in the post-production. I thought, you know, it's yeah. the the voiceover in the opening I thought was weird. Mm-hmm. To me, it looked like that, that scene had been shot to not be done through voiceover. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if you... you yeah, there's it. there's also weird things with the sound because uh, Wells deliberately, in the original cut, was trying to play with sound where... Um, you know, first of all, they were shooting on location, which was really strange for a studio movie at this time. They went to Mexico and they shot on a boat, namely Errol Flynn's boat. You can actually see Errol Flynn in the background of one of the seats. If I had the opportunity to shoot on location in Mexico... With Errol Flynn? Yeah, I'd do it. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Just, all right. Yeah. But uh, Orson Welles really wanted to play with sound, so he was deliberately uh, having sound that was really quiet or overlapping dialogue that was hard to hear, you know, kind of very deliberate weird choices. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the movie was taken back and re-edited, a lot of the stuff was ADR'd, which means it it was, uh, the actors were brought back in and re-recorded their dialogue over the images. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you could tell that, especially again in that opening, you could tell there was a lot of looping going on there. it was uh, the and you know you get to that ending which is so surreal. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. You know, and you kind of that was originally twenty minutes long. <laughs> the stumbling through the funhouse. <laughs> the, 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 the specifically the the house of mirrors was hmm. uh, supposedly twenty minutes long originally. That uh, there was this famous set designer and a special effects art, artist that collaborated to do that whole sequence. It was all. Um, Inspired by the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I thought yeah. you were gonna say it was all smoke and mirrors. It was all smoke and mirrors. Well, it was. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see cabinet of Dr. Caligari yeah. in there quite, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think uh, about wow, twenty minutes of that. Uh, yeah, it's I know. Probably, it's probably all right. They cut some of that. I, yeah. Uh, but um, <laughs> or some. I kind of want to see the other fourteen minutes. You know, of again, well, it feels it, it feels like all that voiceover when Orson Welles is telling us, well, this was her, her grand plan. Mm-hmm. It feels like that was dialogue mm-hmm. that got cut Yeah, in got place eaten. of we're just going to have him quickly explain what the whole what, what the whole plot was so that uh, we, can, we can get on with this weird mirror shootout thing. And, mm-hmm. You know, like they didn't really, I don't think he, I mean, Welles throughout his career was making movies that were a step ahead of what everybody else was doing, or so it seems. Or at least five steps. Yeah, at least five steps. And it seems like nobody got it. I mean, this isn't the first film that was taken out of his hands and re-edited, and it won't be the last. Yeah, Magnificent Ambersons was taken out of his hands, and... uh, Later, Touch of Evil is going to be... Touch of Evil was dramatically changed. Yeah. And uh, so he, he, he clearly was making movies that 
didn't make sense to the studios, mm -hmm. but they kept wanting to, to make movies for a while at least. Um, and a side note, if you kind of want to see what the, the final House of Mirrors sequence would look like, um, see a movie called The Trial, which is Orson Welles' adaptation of Kafka's The Trial. With Anthony Perkins, and it is bizarre. It's so bizarre. It's a weird, weird movie. All right, anyway. <laughs> so you, you said you had five pages of notes. Are oh, we on, I do. Are we on oh, page? Yeah, I got Have we reached page so, two yet? Oh, yeah, right. oh, no. We kind of skipped over the first ones. Oh. Um, the movie was made because um, Orson Welles was on the East Coast making a stage production of Around the World in 80 Days with music by Cole Porter. I know, right? Huh. It's stage production. And uh, he... He was uh, directing the play, and the producer, I can't remember the name of the producer, but the uh, producer took a hike off the project, and um, Wells decided to self-finance the play. Well, before they got to preview night, uh, the costumes were being held because there were debts <laughs> against the theater company, so Orson Wells had to come up with uh, money fast. So he called Columbia Pictures and he got uh, Harry Cohn, the producer of this movie, on the phone. He said, I will direct and write and star in a movie for you if you give me $55,000 right now. <laughs> and he goes, okay. And, and uh, Wells got money. So this is a movie that came out of that offer. Now the, the reason it was this movie, um, there are some conflicting Stories, you know, one is that um, he offered to make an adaptation of the book that of this one book, and I forget the uh, it's uh, Sherwood King's If I Die Before I Wake, which is what this was based on. Um, Orson Welles saw a box office girl reading the book, he'd never read the book himself, but like when he was on the phones, it's like, I will do an adaptation of If I Die Before I Wake, and it clones that sold. The other story is that William Castle. The famous director William Castle, who uh, directed all those B movies in the fifties, um, had bought the rights to "If I Died Before I Wake," and it got him in front of uh, Columbia Studio by putting Orson Welles's name on it, but hoping that you know Castle hoping that he'd get to direct, and then Orson Welles would just star, and he was disappointed that Welles wound up directing, and William Castle wound up assistant directing this. Huh. <laughs> So, so uh, do yeah. you know how the play did? <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, it apparently did fairly well, um, and uh, eventually that play turned into the movie uh, Run the World in 80 Days. The one with, huh. with David Niven. David, David Niven. The, and the, the producer of that movie was the guy who walked off the stage production. <laughs> the, the, I'm sorry, you tell that, you tell that whole story. And I, was, I was having flashbacks to Birdman. Yeah. Thinking, wow, that story is strangely evocative of that film. Um, so now uh, we talked about the fact that uh, Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles are married. We're married at the uh, point of making this at movie. At this point, making this movie. Is, mm -hmm. uh, was, was, there, uh, was there any, like, because they... They, I think they divorced not too long after this. Very film. soon after this. So, was there any, uh, is there any juicy gossip about that, or don't we know no, anything? Not a whole not really? lot. Um, well, Rita Hayworth. Um, Besides being awesome. Well, she she's pretty amazing. Uh, Rita Hayworth married and divorced five times, and each time she was married, she was only married for a few years, and um, she's quoted later that, uh, yeah, what was the quote? I wrote, I wrote it down. She said that, uh, quote, 
I couldn't handle his genius anymore. Oh. <laughs> There's reason that, for le re leaving Orson Welles. Is that a euphemism? Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I assume that's actually like when you've got those those crazy geniuses that like wake up at three in the morning and they start like dragging canvases out and start painting crazily and things like oh, that. Yeah. Like. I assume it was stuff like that, or like going out in the middle of the night to make bird calls or something. I don't oh yeah, ridiculous yeah. Or Orson Welles was not a fan <laughs> of moderation of any sort, as so. evidenced by the mirror scene at yeah. the end of this film. Yeah, yeah. There, it, I, I imagine it just wasn't a great match. <laughs> but uh, she later went on to marry a prince. Um, he was the son of a. Of a sultan in India, Ooh. or some someone, you know, that didn't last long either. Uh, she, yeah, like I said, she married and divorced five times. And <laughs> marriage just didn't go well for her. Apparently. Wait, which one was this for her? Was it? I think it was two. Number okay. two. Uh, she and Orf Orson Welles did have a kid, uh, Rebecca. Yeah. Which is yeah, yeah, yeah. So good for them. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> So, do you have anything else to share before we open up to questions or comments? Well, let's see. Uh, Rita Hay Hayworth was the daughter of two vaudeville dancers. She started acting very young. She was, I think she got her first studio gig at about age 15. And uh, she started, um, her, her career started getting traction when she's, um, she danced opposite Fred Astaire and, and did fairly well at that. Um, about a year or two years before this movie came out, before Lady from Shanghai came out, she did a little movie called Gilda. We're gonna have to watch that one. We're gonna have to watch yeah. Gilda, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. it, and uh, that was when her star hit big. I mean, she was just famous, famous, famous when uh, that movie hit. And so when Harry Cohn got the offer to do this movie from Orson Welles, what he wanted was a Rita Hayworth vehicle. He wanted the flowing red hair, uh, star, star power Rita Hayworth, and of course, you know, Orson Welles had to cut her, had, had her cut her hair and bleach it blonde, so she was not the typical quote Rita Hayworth that uh, Harry Cohn wanted to see on screen, and that for a long time was. Um, her image in this movie was blamed for this movie tanking at the box office when it first came out. Because they, they felt that, you know, when you, when you want Rita Hayworth in the movie, you want the redhead, which is really funny because she's really a brunette. Because she's Hispanic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Well, and you know, I think uh, it's kind of funny that they would blame that because, um, you know, this is a really, it's a really good movie, but it's really disjointed. Mm -hmm. You know, because because people came in and, and meddled with it, oh and, yeah, and took it away from from Wells, who had a clear idea of what he was trying to do, and I don't even know if what he was trying to do would work. Well, yeah, it could have been insane. Who knows? Yeah, but you can really tell that that there's a lot of a lot of fingers trying to make sense of whatever the heck he was trying to do, mm -hmm. and not really understanding it. Um, and that uh, and again, that was a kind of a hallmark of Wells' career. Uh, I mean, nobody nobody meddled with Citizen Kane, but they didn't get it either. Right. <laughs> uh, they just were like, well, we told him he could have Final Cut. I mean, he had the best deal in Hollywood at the time for that film, so mm -hmm. they really couldn't do anything to the movie. Yeah. But they sure did sit in a room and scratch their heads over it for a long time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so why don't we open it up? Does anybody have any questions or comments about this film? You can raise your hand, and if I don't see a hand raised, we'll 
we'll move on and cool. chatter about other things and you can raise your hand later but oh look there's a hand right back there hey. see i talked long enough i got a question about the amusement park because i've never yeah. been there but somehow it looks strangely familiar <laughs> like some of the buildings i, I think i've seen and that amusement park been in other movies at all Oh, that quite, amusement park been in other movies? Quite possibly. I'm. I. I didn't look up where the location was. I know that um, there were some shots cut together to look like they were at the same location, but they were actually two different locations. Uh, and in the original cut of the movie, they, it was very clear that they were going to different locations. And you know, here they just cut them together. Yeah, I'm. So there, it might have been just okay. a mishmash of. See, the end of the film takes place in San Francisco, and yeah. I've been to San Francisco a lot, and that doesn't look familiar to me at all. Now, it could mm -hmm. be something that was, that, that's was that been torn down since the movie was made. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, you know, it could be something in New York, since they were in New York for a while. I, I don't know. Um, it could be a shot that they used in other movies. No, or it could be backlot location. Could, yeah, yeah. They, they just had their backlot amusement park. Yeah, the, uh, the interiors, I know, were all a set. And it, like the the Hall of Mirrors sequence, like the the um, that big zigzag slide, the the pit was like twenty feet deep and eighty feet wide, and it it was it was just enormous. It, and uh, that slide looked fun. I think the slide, yeah, definitely. If I was Orson Welles, that would be the scene that I was most looking forward to shoot. Um, <laughs> probably, probably had several takes on the slide. Just mm -hmm. you know, no, let's do it again. <laughs> there's, there's another story from this movie about Orson Welles and the set builders because I think I think it was regarding this set where the the set builders and the set painters were all in. They got the set done and he wanted it repainted, and he called Harry Cohn at the studio and requested the painters come in and paint all weekend so they could shoot on Monday, and. No, it wasn't Harry Cohn. It was one of the other producers at Columbia. But anyway, uh, the producer said no because they'd have to pay triple wages because they were all union. And so Orson Welles and his cast and crew basically broke into the studio over the weekend and repainted the, the set themselves and did this banner that was a... Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So the, the producer's name was Jack Fier, F-I-E-R. And they painted this banner that said, the only thing to fear is fear himself. With <laughs> and the producer was furious, and the union was furious, and so the union just demanded to be paid for the lost wages, and so that came out of Orson Welles' budget, and uh, fear had them, had the union paint up a banner that said, uh, all's well that ends wells. Oh. <laughs> As retaliation. Nice. So yeah. yeah, Orson Welles, I oh, guess, was a difficult. Oh look, we have a hand. Yes. Yeah, the the Rita Hayworth's history that mm -hmm. was supposed to be something the husband was keeping secret. Was that supposed to be something that we were led to believe was happening in Shanghai? Was that the shady past that she had? I presume I, so. I presume. I mean, we we understand that she has a shady past. She talks about Shanghai in the opening of the film. She speaks Chinese mm -hmm. very well. Um, you know, they clearly, you know, they, they, it's it's interesting when a, when a director makes that choice, or in, a, in this case the writer and the director make the choice <laughs> to imply that she's got a, a shady history, but very carefully go out of their way to never tell you what it is. And I think 
that that decision to me to me it's like they set up that you know it also it it's almost like they're setting up that history to be like she was you know a stripper or a prostitute or something like that and i think that that whole thing is misdirection that it's actually probably something uh, much darker than than that i think like that, jaywalking yeah, yeah, yeah. she <laughs> probably did a lot of a lot of jaywalking in china a lot of people don't know this but that is a uh, actually a capital crime in china um, they, they do not like it when you jaywalk in china or just uh, jaywalking to kill a man like you know whatever yeah and i, I feel like you know you, yeah. you'd probably find out that she was more more involved in drug trade or something like that. I, I, but you know, it's total guess. It's total guess because, of course, we don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't know what she was up to before she was in this movie. But by the end of the movie, we can conclude that it was some pretty shady stuff. And uh, seeing as her her housekeeper uh, was prepared to help her kill a man, and it didn't sound like it was the first time her housekeeper had helped her kill a man. <laughs> uh, that. That probably helps inform a little bit of what her history might have been. Mm -hmm. Basement filled with skeletons. Yeah. Like literally Which filled with... Which housekeeper? The, the black one? No, the Chinese. The Chinese or he wasn't a housekeeper. He was, was he the cook? Or? He drove. Yeah, the, the chauffeur. chauffeur. He was the chauffeur. Yeah. chauffeur. Yeah. Oh. All right. I'd yeah. like to say something quick. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're on Chinatown, and then I could... I don't know this movie that well. I have seen it a couple of times, and then... Polanski's Chinatown. How it was influenced. Uh, this movie influenced that. Did this movie influence Chinatown? I don't know. Do you know? Melissa? I don't know. Offhand. I can see I that. Know. I'm saying. I yeah. Believe it did. Oh. Yeah. Sure. It's, it's quite possible. Yeah. This this movie tanked upon release, but it gained a lot more respect as time went on. So much like most of Orson Welles' other films. Yeah. yeah. Funny that. This is the first Welles film I've seen in which he wasn't. Heavy set and full bearded. Oh yeah, until oh goodness, like the fifties or sixties, he was he was just tall, strapping lad. I mean, in Most Citizen of, Kane, Susan Kane, Citizen Kane, he was he was very slender. It's just you know, as his character aged, they put padding on him. Well, what I think was interesting when I watched Citizen Kane and knowing how Wells looked in later yes. years, I, I got to tell you, they did a really amazing job. <laughs> yes, they did. Of giving you an idea what Orson Welles was going to look like as he aged. So uh, you know, you got to give him full props oh, for yeah. that. Oh, and uh, real quick, you know, speaking of Citizen Kane, uh, the husband in Lady from Shanghai is, of course, the guy who played Mr. Bernstein, a gentleman named Everett Sloan, who was a uh, TV actor and earlier one of the Mercury players. He was um, well known for doing voices on the radio. And, uh, uh, and of so, course, the radio yeah. is Orson, where Orson Welles comes from originally. Yeah, well, yeah, Orson Welles headed up the Mercury players, so that's how they all got together. You know, that's him and Joseph Cotton and Agnes Moorhead and all those guys. And uh, Sloan, uh, uh, Everett Sloan was. Um, you know, he, he was kind of awkward on screen, which is why uh, Orson Welles always had him, like, walking around with canes or something like that, just to keep him from moving around too much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, um, uh, uh, Everett Sloan's story ends sadly because uh, near the end of his life, uh, he, in his 50s, he started losing his eyesight and he was terrified of going blind. So eventually he 
went off to the drugstore and bought some barbiturates and took his own life one night. So, so he took very a sad. Yeah, so his career was cut short. But. Yeah. And, you know, clearly he took a bit of a key from this film where that yeah, is concerned. Yeah, I saw, the, I saw the pills and it's like, oh, oh, no. no. Oh, oh, irony. Yeah. Uh, any other questions or comments from the audience? Yeah, yeah. Well, even Rita Hayworth was speaking in a foreign language. I was, where are the foreign, where are the English subtitles? Was yeah. mm -hmm. subtitles for translation just not a thing back then? Okay. Oh, um, they, they do that every once in a while for, it's it's just, it was a choice not to subtitle I, it. I, I think, think that we were not meant to know what they yeah. were saying. Right. Or we were meant to get a basic idea of what they were saying. But I mean, when she's talking with her chauffeur, you know, clearly we aren't supposed to know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So it, it feels to me like, you know, in most of the cases, well, she's asking if anybody's seen Orson Welles and they're, they're, they're guiding her. And I don't need, know that you needed subtitles to understand mm -hmm. what, they were, what they were saying. But uh, the no subtitles with the chauffeur had to be a deliberate choice. We don't want, we aren't meant to know what that conversation is until later in the film. Mm -hmm. um, well, the confusion with, um, you know, not knowing the backstory of, of the wife, also, I mean, like, they, she introduced her, he, Orson Welles' character called her Rosalie, and then, but the husband and George were always calling her Elsa, and did we ever find out why, or does that have anything In the very beginning, he talked about uh, a princess called uh, Rosalie. Oh. And so that's, so it's maybe that's it's his nickname. pet name for her. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's kind of a, yeah. Confusing, so, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll agree. So we are reaching the end of our podcast. We'd like to thank everybody for joining us. Before we go, final thoughts, Jenna? Um, I loved all of the smoking they did under no smoking signs. Yeah. <laughs> that was fantastic. They were like, yeah, stick it to the man, lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like an obvious just disregard for what was going on, which I think very clearly showed for those characters. Like, they're above all of the rules or the whatever else, like they're or they're gonna just pay attention to them when they want to, as the lawyer and his wife are smoking under a no smoking sign in the courthouse, you know. Mm -hmm. But I also just liked it because it amused me. Uh, yeah. Hmm. All right, Melissa. Final thoughts. Okay, so it's Errol Flynn's boat that they're on. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yes. And Errol Flynn was piloting the boat, and Errol Flynn it, apparently they're apparently just tons of stories about Errol Flynn from this movie. It's his dachshund that's running around <laughs> on, on the set. And um, the one lovable kid. <laughs> and and there was it was apparently really, really hot during the shoot because they were shooting on location in Mexico. I mean there are stories about Rita Hayworth passing out from heat exhaustion and there were insects and and all that fun stuff. Well, there was one day that they were at sea, and apparently an assistant cameraman just passed out dead of a heart attack. And Errol Flynn, who may have been drunk at the time, tried to the odds are high. Tried to stuff him into a duffel bag and bury him at sea. <laughs> and Orson Welles had to send for the authorities on shore. And when Orson Welles is is the, is the, the voice of reason. reason. <laughs> oh, my oh, boy. <laughs> One can only imagine what the rest of this shoot was like. Um, that particular boat is actually still in operation. Uh, it was... I was trying to say, maybe I don't want to go shooting on location <laughs> with that. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah. Well, you, you come away with many stories. Well, there's that. So, Assuming you can't play at all. <laughs> 
So that boat was uh, used during World War II to patrol offshore, uh, uh, offshore the uh, California coast. Um, but after that, in this movie, um, the boat was sold off and kind of, you know, fell into disrepair. And eventually, an Italian businessman bought it, and it now uh, sails out of Monte Carlo. So it's still run. So. That boat killed the cameraman. <laughs> um, We've got one more question from the audience. What year was Wells born and what year did he die? He died, uh, I want to say 1987-ish. 1985, 1987. Right um, after Transformers. I'm not sure of his birth. He was born in 1915 because this festival was to celebrate his 100th birthday. Oh, there you go. Sense. He was born in 1915. Uh, he, he was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin. That's right. And let that sink in for a moment. He's can a can you believe Orson Welles is from Wisconsin? He's a cheese He's too head. tall. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and my, uh, my final thought is, as always, to uh, remind you, we do a new podcast on the 1st and 15th of the month. Our next podcast is going to be about the 2014 film, Edge of Tomorrow, or as you can purchase it on DVD, Live, Die, Repeat. That's a story we'll probably get into Yo, yes, we will. after we watch the movie. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining us here at the Trilon. We'll be back at the Trilon in a few months. We don't know what that's going to be for yet, but we'll certainly be letting folks know. And before we go, Melissa, you might want to mention something since we just watched a, a film noir. Oh, yes. I will mention this. Thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Um, Real Education now has a sister podcast. Oh, my God. Ah, it's called Real Education Noir. And it is specifically about films noir. So it's myself, it's Wendy Bowlesby, and Ellie Ellingsberg. And we're doing pretty much the same thing here. We're picking a movie, we're watching it, and then discussing it afterwards. Uh, the first episode is up, and uh, many more coming along the way. Um, you can find it at the website realedunoir.com. That's R E E L E D U N O I R.com. So yeah, if you like this podcast, listen to that one as well. Uh, if anything, we can do to waste more of your time. So thank you so much for listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.